This morning we have Frances Correa. Frances, uh, she's going to tell us uh, more about the spiritual exercises that she's been doing throughout the week. Uh, good morning, Frances. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Pam. So this last week I've been involved in training people at the top level of training that we offer for spiritual directors at the Institute, and we train them to give the spiritual exercises. And... Uh, for those of you who don't know, the spiritual exercises are really at the heart of the Ignatian heritage, at the heart of what Ignatian spirituality is about. And they're a very intense process of Christian conversion. Taken neat, they um, are an experience that lasts about 30 days, 30 days of silence. So a person would go into an enclosed retreat setting, they would be in silence, they would be praying the material for five hours a day, meeting once a day with a director who'd be directing them through the process, giving them the exercises. And there'd also be uh, the possibility of mass and adoration in that process. So that's a kind of very, very intense um, process. We also offer the exercises as a retreat in daily life. So there are two ways of giving them. The one is in the enclosed retreat, in a retreat center. The other is that even in the time of St. Ignatius, back in the 16th century, there were, there were those who couldn't go away for 30 days to make the full exercises, but who nonetheless wanted to make them. And uh, very famously, was, there was a duke who couldn't leave his civic responsibilities, but he wanted to make the exercises, and Ignatius got him to set aside time each day to pray, and then Ignatius would meet with him once a week. <clears throat> And the same dynamic happens in our own time where people come and they see a director once a week. They pray the same material um, and they pray for about an hour a day and they would also do an examine in the evening, so, so maybe an hour and 20 minutes going to the prayer material each day. And that would stretch the process taken that way lasts somewhere between six months and two years, depending on the person giving the retreat and the person making the retreat and what happens in the process. So it's a very, very um, intensive process of, of conversion, of transformation. Um, Ignatius, in his little book of the exercises, he says that the reason we make the exercises is to free ourselves from all inordinate attachments so that we can choose to follow Christ in the world with, with real freedom of heart. Mm. So it's, it's quite an intense process. Um, I would like to know, uh, it's quite interesting, I would like to know what is, what is a spiritual director? Okay, what's a spiritual director? Good question. So the spiritual director, so I was just talking now about a spiritual director giving the exercises. A spiritual director is... Um, is someone whose role is to listen to the other person, to help them to hear what God may be saying in their life, to help them to sift through the stuff of their life um, and listen for the gentle voice of God in the midst of everything that's going on and then to, to kind of help them to move in that direction. So in some ways, a spiritual director is a bit like a therapist or a counselor. In, in fact, um, when I always tell this to people when I'm training them. When Freud and Jung, who are really the, the, the fathers of modern psychoanalysis, the fathers of the modern listening professions, when they were 
were discerning or discovering the workings, the inner workings of the psyche, uh, despite the fact that neither of them was Catholic, they both, um, and I mean, Freud was obviously Jewish, they read Ignatius's little book of the exercises, they read Therese of Avila, they went back to the Christian mystics of the 16th century, the, the Spanish mystics, who really honed the skills of spiritual direction. They went looking for skills. And Ignatius is wonderful in that he was very skills-orientated. Um, his, his little book of the exercises, which you shouldn't just read if you're looking for a good spiritual read, do not read the, the spiritual book of the exercises. It's like, it's like picking up a, a, a Microsoft manual. You, you have to know how to read it to read it. <laughs> but Ignatius in it, it's a book for directors, and it, it's got a whole lot of very pertinent, um, still, in fact, amazingly, they, they sound modern, but I think that's because they are eternal truths, very clear guidelines for how you handle the interior workings of another person and how you help them to think those things through. Mm. So uh, well, I would also like to know who can join in the spiritual exercise and... Do they have to pay anything? What okay. is expected of them? Okay, so how, how, if you were interested, what would you do? So, depending on which kind of exercises you want to make, there are, there are different costs. So if you're going to make, at the Institute, every second year, we offer the spiritual exercises as an enclosed retreat, the 30-day enclosed retreat. Um, that's quite a costly uh, proceeding. You have to live in a retreat center. You have to be fed. So your retreat director has to live in the retreat center and be fed. Mm -hmm. um, so normally at the moment that the last time we ran it, it cost around 20,000 rand for the it's actually the whole program because you don't arrive and start the exercises immediately. You have some lead-in days and you have some lead-out days. It's about a 30-day, 35-day program mm. and we run it every second year. We will run it in September next year. We run it at the absolutely beautiful uh, St. Lucia Retreat and Training Center, which is down at St. Lucia. It's part of the um, part of the St. Lucia Estuary. It's actually inside of the big game reserve down there, and it's it's just an idyllic place to make the exercises. Mm. Um, so that's the one way. So that's quite expensive. Uh, we do have some bursaries for that, um, mm. which we award uh, based really on people's, both based on need, but also based on do we think that the person who's applying for the bursary is someone who's really going to be um, involved in ministry for the church. Um, so, so that would be a factor for us. But that retreat, it's, it's an astonishingly beautiful retreat center. And if you were to look at making the exercises in the world, we have one of the cheapest retreats on offer. So it's much more expensive if you were to go to the United States or to England, St. Binos, it's substantially more expensive. An eight-day retreat, I don't know what the cost of 30-day retreat at Binos is at the moment, but an eight-day retreat will put you back about 10,000 rand. So mm -hmm. a 30-day retreat is likely to be th um, more than three times that. So we're, we're, we're relatively reasonable. The other way of making the retreat is much can be much, much cheaper, and often is, and that is to make the retreat in daily life. Um, and it, at the moment, I probably know of about 30 people doing this. At any given time, there are 
a large number of people making the retreat in daily life. Mm. In this, they would, if you were looking to make the retreat this way, your best bet would be to contact me at the Jesuit Institute to say you're interested in making the, the spiritual exercises in daily life. Then I would go looking for a director for you. The director needs to be someone who lives relatively near to where you work or to where you live so that you're not having to travel is a big deal um, mm -hmm. in this process. Um, and then the director would be helping the person to go through the exercises. And what normally happens is the cost of that would be negotiated between the director and and the retreatant. Um, so, you know, we have a very much a kind of sliding scale approach to that where we ask people, well, what can you reasonably afford? And I have given the exercises to people who paid me 10 rand a session, mm -hmm. and I've given the exercises to people who paid me 400 rand a session. Wow. So there's a real range there mm -hmm. of, you know, what can the person, what is appropriate? Um, we, we had an English Jesuit with us who said he never talks about cost when he's doing direction. He always says, well, make a donation of what you, th you think is appropriate. Mm. So that there is much more of a the, the fancy language is gratuity of ministry, uh, a freedom of wanting to offer the exercises to people. Just a word before we get there. For anyone who's thinking about the exercises, it is a good idea first to be in spiritual direction for at least six months or maybe a year. Mm. That that a slow run up, the exercises are very, very intense. You don't want to come into them cold. Oh. You want to come into them having had a chance to grow in rapport with the director, to learn some of the contemplative styles of prayer. Um, mm. So that might be something to talk about. So in the Ignatian tradition, we pray contemplatively. Now, it's, it's very funny. On my course, I, I, I train people from across the Christian churches, and uh, I, I, I'm always amused some of the, the kind of... Um, post-denominational or evangelical churches will look at the fact that we pray contemplatively and they'll think that that means that we're monastic and, and we're not. Um, mm -hmm. So there are two words yeah. you can ask me about, yeah. monastic and contemplative. So I'm going to just explain those a bit. All right. Um, so, so Ignatian prayer when you talk about contemplative prayer, what you're talking about in the broadest sense is silent interior prayer. So we're not talking about, for Catholics, we're not talking about the rosary, which is a verbal prayer, and it's a rote prayer. You say it, you say it aloud and you, you, and you say it by rote. Contemplative prayer is interior and silent, and there are two broad kinds of it. And these have less to do with a church or a tradition and more to do with the innate movings of an individual's heart. Mm. And the fancy name for the one is cataphatic. And cataphatic, which is more, Ignatian prayer is more cataphatic. Mm. Um, it leans in that direction. It means that you might read a passage of scripture, for instance. And you might... Read it as if God were saying it to you today. So you might read a passage like Isaiah 43. Mm -hmm. And in it, it says, you know, in it, the Lord says, um, I have called you by name, you are mine. A hero, Israel, I have called you by name, you are mine. But when you pray it in this way, you might rewrite it, Pam, and say, 
the Lord says, Pam, I have called you by name, you are oh, mine. So I personalize it. So you personalize it. And what is God saying to me in that? Mm. And then you would kind of muse on that and think on that and it would speak into your heart mm. as if the, the, the sense is the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture to me today in my mm. unique mm. situation. So it's not like a Bible study. I'm not thinking, well, what was going on for the Israelites at that time? That's, That's irrelevant. That's really something to learn because as we Christians, we think God is somewhere far away from us. So we think that the Scriptures are just something that is too far away. You know, we really, sometimes we feel like we can't really connect to what the Scriptures say. So if I personalize it, say it makes more sense to me and yeah. closer. So like when I'm directing, the thing I say to people is before you pray with a passage, mm. I want you to rewrite it as if God was speaking to Pam this morning. Mm. So if it's, you know, um, uh, Peter talking to John, it's not Peter talking to John, I mean, Jesus talking to John. It's not Jesus talking to John, it's Jesus talking to Pam. Mm. Mm. And, and then to, to, to sit with those words as if he were saying to them, to me today. Hmm. And that, that for Ignatius is, is very, very strong. Um, one of the lecturers who was working with me, Trevor Hudson, hmm. uh, he, he made a lovely comment in the training we were just doing. He said when he first trained and he was doing scripture studies, his lecture was very strong about the idea that, you know, you can't read the Gospels and know what was in the mind and heart of Jesus. Um, and as a scripture scholar, that may be true. But as a retreat director, the opposite is true. We are going for, I want to discover the mind and heart of the Lord as he gazes at me. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. I've lost my train of thought. So we're talking about cataphatic prayer, which is, so we would use the scriptures this way, or we might use them by imagining ourselves into the scene. So Ignatius says, picture the scene, imagine that it is, the, the stable in Bethlehem. Imagine the smells. What can you smell? What can you feel? Mm. Imagine you were sitting amongst the straw. What did the straw feel like? Could you smell the animals? Could you mm. hear them? And he wants you to get into the scene as if you were there. Mm. And then the scene unfolds, and it unfolds the way it does in Scripture, but also as if you yourself were there. So Joseph may speak to you. Mary may speak to you. You may hold the baby. Yeah. You know? I have a I have a lovely memory of one retreatant praying the nativity and she was a grandmother and her saying, oh, I got to change the nappy. <laughs> you know, and it's very it's very um textured. It's it's and the idea is I get to know the Lord, I get to know him in his humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he becomes real to me. Oh, wow, that's uh, very interesting. I'm learning a lot. But then there'll be someone sitting at home thinking, this is all like I'm African. I'm African. I mean, how do I do this? Like, so when you come to the spiritual exercise, how do you make sure that you also adapt it to our African cultures as it sounds more Western, if I may say? Okay, so this has been a big part of the work of the Jesuit Institute here in South Africa. And my colleague, Puleng, has really done superb work in applying the exercises to the South African context. Mm. So early on we realized, and and I think that's beginning to change with the younger generation, but when we first started working, uh, the memory of, for instance, interrogation was still very much in people's minds Mm. in the townships. 
and the people we worked with were very resistant to coming into one-on-one situations because they felt like they were interrogatory rather mm-hmm. than safe. Mm. And the first thing Poleng said was, we need, to, we need to be doing this work in groups. And at the moment, I mean, it's, it's very time-consuming, very intense work she's doing. She, for instance, has taken a group, and it's quite, it's unique in the world, I think, what she's done. I don't know of anywhere else that has done it quite like this, but she has taken a group of, of people. At the moment, she has six in a group um, in the townships, and she's taken them as a group through this intense process of the exercises mm-hmm. in daily life. So every Saturday they meet with her. They would sit in a circle. Each one would share what's going on in their prayer. They take real... There's something very important about the communal aspect. One of the things we realized was that um, in the African context, doing things in community, growing community, hearing the experience of the other, and that speaking into my own experience is very, very, very important. Um, so that's been one of the, the things she's done. Obviously, another is language. You know, the whole thing of how do we translate the exercises into the idiom, into the language of people so that they can understand best mm. what is meant. Mm. Um, some of Ignatius's imagery, I mean, even in even if you were working in the West, people would be saying this is very medieval, it doesn't work for a modern audience. Well, it's very Western and medieval, it doesn't work for an African audience. Mm. We have to think about how do we change the language so that we have something that works for our context. Um, uh, now, as you ask me that, of course, I'm sitting here thinking, what's a good example? What's a good example? <laughs> <laughs> um, but l- let me give you one example that's worked very well for us. You know the Quality Street chocolates? Mm-hmm. So we, when we teach prayer, Quality Street has the byline to choose your favorite favorite. One of the ways we teach scriptural prayer is we get people to, to have it to choose out of a box of chocolates their favorite favorite. And we kind of, everyone knows that Quality Street ad. Oh, okay. And they choose the chocolate. And then we say, in the same way that you would choose the chocolate and savor the chocolate and eat the chocolate, you choose the line, the word or the phrase or the image out of the passage of Scripture mm. that God wants you to have today. Your f- what's your favorite favorite? Wow. So it's about thinking about images that would work in our African context, um, that would speak to people's hearts. Uh, you know, um, Puleng does a lot of, uh, there's a lot of kind of thinking around the role of grandmothers in faith and when 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 you pray and there's a time to talk to Jesus, it can be very helpful sometimes to imagine, first I talk to my grandmother about what I might say to Jesus and then I talk to Jesus. Mm. And it's it's even if my grandmother has passed, there's a sense that I can imagine me engage with her who is comfortable and familiar and then I turn to the Lord who becomes more comfortable and familiar because I've already spoken to my gran. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm, th- I'm also thinking that, you know, when you talk about a grandmother that's passed away, it all in uh, us as South Africans, as, uh, Africans, we see it as ancestors. Exactly. And uh, there's this thing that when you connect to the ancestors, you're connecting to the darker side. So how do we bring that into Christianity? Okay, so... So here you're bringing two kinds of 
stuff together. You're bringing the theology of the church around the communion of saints and the ideas of the ancestors together. And if you think about the ancestors, not all ancestors have that darker side. Huh? Mm. Sometimes we can go to the ancestors for, for comfort or for advice or for, or for looking for a way through. And there's a real thing here of, and it's, it's difficult for me to be speaking about this, perhaps because I'm a white person now treading into <laughs> sacred territory, but my understanding has been, and, and when I've worked with people, I've seen this, you know, I think about recently I was dealing with a woman who was, she was really processing um, some traumatic stuff that had happened in her life, and she was feeling quite isolated. Mm. And she was moved by the Lord to think about the strong woman in her lineage, the, the, the strong woman of her family, many of whom had passed on. And I, I invited her to imagine sitting with them and with Mary and with Elizabeth out of Scripture, mm -hmm. all these women, and talking about what had happened to her in that context of a, a supportive group of older, wise women, mm -hmm. some from her own family and some from Scripture. And kind of, and that was a very healing moment. It was a, a moment in which she felt safe enough in her inner psyche because she, she felt surrounded by some of her, the woman who had shaped her, with whom, who had, who had really been um, woman of strength in her own life, and, and also with these women from Scripture who themselves had suffered and had had experienced real loss, um, you know, and, and it was significant in that that both Mary and Elizabeth had had the experience of their sons being executed. Mm. You know, that was part of what was, what was working for this woman was that all the women in this, in this were women who had suffered profoundly. And, and that helped her to process what was going on interiorly and to kind of bring it to God. So there's something about that that can be very, very powerful. And, you know, I think, I mean, we talk about this quite a bit. We, um, we're very conscious that, that some of our insights that we've had to think about dealing in a multicultural, because you can't just say African culture. South Africa mm. is a multicultural place. You, you run a retreat and you may have an Indian person, a mm. Chinese yeah. person, a European descent person, an African person, an African person from Francophone Africa mm. is a different culture to someone from South Africa. Yes. You know, I, I walk into a parish, any of these people can sit down next to me if I'm running a retreat. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to deal with, in some way, to be able to deal with all of them. And I think that because of the melting pot experience of, of certainly Gauteng, we, we've had to think of ways that work for many people. But out of that, a kind of the African awareness of community has been a significant addition to, to thinking about spirituality. Mm, so, Francis, uh, because of time, I'll have to cut that short, but we shall continue some other time. It's really interesting. It got me thinking about myself as well. You know, we're living in a um, time where everything is just so busy. You know, we don't have time to ourselves. I think we need that time to just sit and just 
think about God and just let God into our lives and think more about the scriptures and how it reflects to our lives. So I think uh, someone at home might just consider like I'm doing, going to the next uh, spiritual exercise. So when is the next spiritual exercise? Is it in two years? Like so so that's the 30-day the retreat. But if you're interested in this stuff, we run short retreats. We run introductions to Ignatian spirituality all the time. Just go to our website or phone mm. us. You phone us and you, you say the word retreat and they'll put you through to, the, um, to, to my desk and we will have a chat. Okay. Thank you so much, Francis, Thank for you, talking Pam. to us.